0: That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.
1: This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, the Athletic Club Oakland, a local sports bar we just love. Look, COVID stole a lot of things from us over the last year, and one of the biggest things it took was the ability to watch sports with other people. The Athletic Club? Given that back to us. The ACOs shut down their entire side street, created an enormous Outdoor space called the Town Gardens and filled that space with tables and huge TVs and their full complement of service and food. It's big, it's comfortable, and it's just a great spot to watch the NBA playoffs with other NBA fans. The Athletic Club is now our go-to spot to watch all sports, especially the league, and we hope you'll join us there. In fact, if we see anyone at the ACO in a huddle shirt, beer. On us, the Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans can be sports fans again. We're gonna bring you on to our huddle.
2: Welcome to Five Golden Questions, the Locked On Warriors and Warriors Huddle collab. I'm Wes from the Locked On Warriors podcast. This is Bram with me here from the Locked On Warrior or the Warriors Huddle podcast, rather. Uh, And it's pretty simple what we're about to do. We've got five very important pressing questions dealing with the Golden State Warriors, and we are going to answer those questions in order of how we put them together. So, Bram, I think let's just get started with the first one, which is one you came up with. Um, Would the Warriors be in a better position if they had just tanked the entire 2021 season? And since it's your question, I think you get to answer first. Uh, I am ready. Let me
1: start by a little congratulations to you for successfully shortening the word collaboration into just collab. I thought that that was really professional um, and and, set us off on the right type here. This question I think we should try to shorten as many words as possible. Let's collab on that and see what ultimately happens. This question, man, came from a bar argument. So, I was watching game seven, that Brooklyn game. I got a little hammered and had some nasty things to say about KD, but that's not the purposes of this. I was there with Warrior fans, and we're talking about the upcoming draft. And somebody there was saying, Look, I wish they had just sat Steph, didn't play him the whole year. And right now, we'd be talking about maybe a top three pick. And so, going into next season, We would have, you know, perhaps the three and seven pick instead of the seven and 14 pick. And the guy was arguing, wouldn't that put us on a title track faster? And so I wanted to hear your take on it. This was my response to him. I said, no, bullshit, that's not right. Um, Objectively, sure, three and seven would be better in the draft. But what happened last year with Steph, with him not only putting himself back on the big dog map and establishing himself as you know a, a household name and franchise-saving superstar, he also established himself, I hope, as one of the guys that veterans out there, ring chasers out there, are going to want to come and play with again. If I'm right about that, then the position that that puts the Warriors in, if we are now a destination again, something you and I have talked about, collabed on, then that actually, I think, puts them in a better position than they would have been if they'd had a top three pick if they had sat him. So in my opinion, which is better, it's better that they played out the season, kind of got, I mean, and and that doesn't even touch on the experience that it provided to the young guys. So I, I think it is better that they had the year they had as opposed to being in the top half of this draft.
2: I'm with you. And not only did it signal to veterans that Steph is ready to go win a championship, it signaled to this front office, didn't it? That, yeah. hey, this guy who was coming off of a broken hand the way that he did is still one of the best scoring players in the league, if not the best scorer in the league. And whatever you want to do, if you want to draft James Wiseman, if you want to do all of that, fine, great. But put the team around him that can win now. And I also think in not tanking, you were able to, you know. Yeah, you could have gotten playing time for Jordan Poole and Juan skano Anderson and James Wiseman had Steph not played, but you wouldn't have learned whether or not they can play with Steph or not. Think about what they learned the year that he broke his hand nothing. They learned absolutely nothing from that season. Eric Pascal went from first team All NBA rookie to out of the rotation because he couldn't play with Steph. Like, you need to figure out what you have, and they learned that in Jordan Poole and Juan skano Anderson, at the very least, that they have something there. They learned that Kevon Looney is ready to be your starting center for a playoff caliber team. They learned that Draymond Green playing with stakes can still be the defensive force that we know him to be. What they learned by Steph simply just playing, by him being on the court, outweighs the difference between having the third pick and the seventh pick in this draft. And it's not even close, I don't think.
1: Were you disappointed at all when they slipped to seven? We we are in complete agreement um, and so much so that I can't wait to kind of shove this in my friend's face the next time I grab a drink (laughs) with him. But, I mean, you asked me up front before we hit record how I was doing. I told you B+. That's kind of a lie, Wes. You know, I've, I've clawed myself back up to about a B minus B. When the draft order was actually announced, I was depressed, man. It hit me in kind of a nasty way. I I don't know if I'd convince myself into them being, like, number one, but I wanted the six pick at least. So for you, you're always kind of healthier than me. Like, how did it hit you? <laughs> you know, I, I, did it, were you disappointed? Did you expect this? Where'd you stand?
2: This is what I expected. Look – I know that a lot of Warriors fans wanted the 14th pick to miraculously end up with the at number one, something that's like never happened before. Uh, and you know, if it was going to happen, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen to the Warriors. Like that's just not how the NBA works. Like they tend to reward. If it's going to be rigged, it wasn't going to be rigged for the Warriors a year after they got the second overall pick. It was going to be rigged for some other small market team or some other team that they want to be good. The Warriors are already relatively good, um, and. And the rigging thing, by the way, is a joke. But uh, <laughs> the, so for their own pick, yeah, I mean, I was going to stay at fourteen, and anybody who expected it to not be at fourteen just got their hopes up unrealistically. And sorry, that's your bad. That's not anybody else. Uh, as far as the Minnesota pick is concerned, yeah, there was a chance. There was a nine point six percent chance that it could land at four, and I thought that that was certainly a possibility. But you know, I I think the war. I was more worried about that pick sliding to like nine or ten than you I did. was. It going six or seven in this draft are going to be basically the same. Yeah, maybe Scotty Barnes won't be there. Maybe he goes off the board at six. But if you can't figure out what to do, if you're Bob Myers in this front office after the after the top six guys go in a really deep draft, then that's a you problem. Uh, you can find a guy who can help at seven. That's there's no doubt to me. If that pick were to end up at nine or ten, the tenth pick in this draft, Bram, is no different than the fourteenth pick in this draft. Like that, that to me would have been an, a disaster. That the, the crown jewel of the Andrew Wiggins deal would have ended up just being the 10th pick in this draft that that would have sucked if you were the Warriors. You, right. You so you, I just, just, you, just, yeah.
1: you clawed me up to a B I'm feeling even better now. Well, see, this is, this is definitely working. And to give you a sense of how ridiculous I was. So not only was I thinking 14 was going to become one, I watched the draft order reveal on public transit. So I was watching it on the ESPN app and I guess that feed is like five, six seconds slower than if I was actually watching <laughs> it on TV. And I learned that because I forgot to turn off my notifications on my text. So right when they're going to reveal who 14 is, I get a text from somebody that says, you know, crap or something, and I immediately scream out on public transit, fuck, fuck, like I took it super. I was positive <laughs> they were going to be number one. So, yeah, man, I, maybe I went in with some unrealistic expectations.
2: Uh, let's move on to our next question here. Uh, would you prefer that the Warriors trade up? In this draft, meaning that they would have to take their two picks, presumably, and move them into one pick and maybe even some other stuff to move up, or just trade out of this draft and potentially get some sort of veteran addition. I'll follow you. Mm. So I think that my my first instinct is to say trade out and go get a veteran. I just think that that's going to be really difficult, but... I guess trading up in this draft is going to be equally as difficult. Like, the only team that I think would be a team willing to trade down out of this loaded top of a draft would be Cleveland at number three, and I'm not even sure that they would. But I just based on who's probably going to be available there, I don't know that they want one of the Jalens because they just drafted their backcourt of the future and they seem pretty tied to and happy with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So maybe the, they, the Warriors can offer seven and 14, to move up to three and then take Jalen Suggs, so I think would be a home run fit for the for this team. But um, if that were the option, I'd prefer that over even going and getting a veteran, just because the veterans are talking about like, what are you gonna trade seven and seven and fourteen for Rodney Hood, you gonna, like, Jordan Clarkson. Like that's that's the kind of player that we're talking about. I don't think the value is worth it. So my like I said, my initial instinct to say, hey, trade out, go get a guy who's been in the NBA for a few years and can help you right now, but. Based on who's available versus who would be available in a potential trade-up, I prefer the trade-up scenario.
1: We are basically in agreement, and I'm going to kind of cheat uh, by not giving you which one I would prefer and instead say I would prefer both, and I don't think either happened. Right? So out. Would I be interested in them training out of the draft and bringing in veteran help for staff? Of course I would. We've been talking about it forever. What Steph is doing is historic. It's not going to last for you know two three more years. So anything we can do to make sure that he is surrounded by veteran help instead of rookies, we should do. I'm interested in it. Am I interested in the Rodney Hoods of the world? No, you know. So I guess we'll see who becomes available. But I'm would not- you would
2: you trade seven and fourteen for Joe Ingles, thirty three year old Joe Ingles with I think one more year left on his contract, maybe two? No
1: no i wouldn't um okay. that one i can say almost immediately the age bothers me a little bit and his fit i mean i i can i know his crafty defense i know he can hit from outside but that's not the kind of sexy help i'd be willing to do and there's the perfect name you know that that's that's the kind of caliber player we're talking about i'd prefer Stan pat and see you know what these guys ultimately bring which leads to the would i trade up well i'm interested right we, we had a, a draft guru on the pod literally just last night and what he explained that just crushed me is that it's a six-player draft you know and and we've got pick seven so would i like to move up even one spot hell yes but just as you just kind of detailed i'm not sure they can do it you know i I came up with some some possible trades but i don't think any of them land uh 14 and 7 and a future first rounder just to move up one spot at that OKC spot at 6. But if you're the Thunder, I don't think you have any interest in another future first rounder and you're probably going to do that for Scotty Barnes. Um and right. same thing like you were saying, like 14-7 is probably not enough to get into the top 4 or top 3. Well, if we add Wiseman, maybe that moves the needle for you know Toronto at 4 or Cleveland at 3. But if I'm the front office or I'm just me, I don't want that either. You know, what I, what I want to do is, is not bring in another rookie in exchange for
2: Wiseman. So it just doesn't
1: make sense. So I, I'm interested in both, but I don't think either option
2: is going to present itself. Thomas Perret writes in Wes, What would you be willing to give up in a trade or what would you be willing to give up and trade up to draft Jalen Suggs? Um, I love Jalen Suggs. I don't know if that's why Thomas is asking me this because I'm a little biased for Jalen Suggs right now, but I would offer seven, 14, and then the best player after that I would offer is probably Jordan Poole. I would mm-hmm. put, I might have to put Jordan Poole on the table in order to move up to, for Jalen Suggs. If it meant getting Jalen Suggs versus not getting Jalen Suggs, I would put Jordan Poole on the table. Now, that includes everybody worse than J- Jordan Poole. So if they want Eric Pascal, Damian Lee, like whoever, yeah, take them. It's, they're yours. It does not include James Wiseman. It does not include, um, obviously, the core guys. Uh, I wouldn't move even Andrew Wiggins to move up because Andrew Wiggins is 26, going on 27, helps right now in a way that I don't even think Jalen Suggs is able to help right now, and everything should be about winning right now. So, um, And as far as the James Wiseman thing is concerned, look, I know that – so I, I disagree a little bit that it's a six-player draft because we're just a month away from everybody saying it's a five-player draft. And as this process goes on, I'm telling you that the way this works is you know what? It was a five person draft, and Scotty Barnes is making a case. It's like a six person draft. And hey, this new player, he's kind of making a case. Maybe it's a seven person draft. Like this is, you're going to be able to find help at seven. And the Warriors are in an interesting spot here because let's say it is a six person draft. Well, then the Warriors have the first pick in this new draft. And they have an opportunity to set the table and kind of set the standard for what the, the seven on is going to be and that's basically just sort of reframing something but it's true like you're gonna be able to find a helpful player at seven the unfortunate thing for the warriors is it's not just easily laid out for you right you don't just take one of the best six guys and then go right you have to do some work here and you got to trust your scouting department and and everything that you do to make sure that you take the best player available, right? Like this is now the part where you get creative and there's some mystery involved. It's not as easy as just taking Cade Cunningham with the number one pick because he's clearly the best player in this draft. No, you have to do some work now if you're the scouting department. And I think the Warriors can do it, right? I still, I think that they could do it. It's just going to be harder than if they were at three, four, five, six, or seven or or, or six, I'm sorry, but they are at seven. So yeah,
1: they're going to face some risk. You know, Myers and company are going to face some risk. The, this pick is going to make a big difference down the line. It, the, it's not a consensus pick, right? There's not that one person, like you're saying, who they're going to go after. So we'll see. There's going to be a right or wrong answer on this. I got a quote from you, or for you, rather, from Lakob that I really want your interpretation on. You might if I run it by you now and see what you think? Yes, let's go. Uh, yes, you mind it too bad. I'm still going to read it to you. This is from the TK podcast. So Tim Kawakami asked Lake of this, quote, would you want two rookies to throw in this mix or would you strongly look at hey, if you get two picks, you may want to trade at least one of them to get a veteran. Here's Lake's response and and I've I've cut out a little of the fat. So this isn't direct but these are all his words, quote. I know that's what the media is saying. I don't think that happens, and I'm sorry. It's just not possible to do. You can't acquire a veteran with a big contract. The numbers are impossible. We already have by far and away the largest payroll in the league. Uh, It's not a question of wanting to do it. It's just not possible. So getting a veteran with a big contract, that's not happening. Stop thinking about it. Stop analyzing. Stop saying it. It's just not happening. Is he saying that as a smokescreen, you know, because he doesn't want to destroy his negotiation position. You know, if you go, if I'm trying to buy a car and I tell you, I really want your car, you're going to gouge me with the price. If I tell you, I have no interest in your car, you know, maybe we're going to be able to get a deal done. Do you think he's just trying to massage the negotiation (laughs) waters or is this real deal? He's saying, absolutely not. Stop thinking about bringing in another big man.
2: I have given that quote a lot of thought and I've talked about it on my podcast and even tweeted about it the other day. I, I, he's wrong i just don't know why he's wrong like i don't know if he's wrong on purpose or if he's wrong by accident so if he's wrong by accident that's understandable i know he owns the team but he is not i never thought joe Lakeup as the golden state warriors cap expert right like i've i've sat next to him while he's like texting people who work at the front office saying is this guy a free agent like this (laughs) <laughs> free agency and cap stuff is generally like not a thing that Joe Lakeup concerns himself with. And by the way, shouldn't. He has people that work for him to do that. Um, so I don't know if he was wrong by accident or if he's wrong on purpose. And I don't mean to make light with this term. Gaslighting an entire fan base. Because yep. that might be a way of taking expectations down from a fan base saying, hey, we're not going to go get a big free agent. Because, And let me explain myself why he's wrong. Uh, and what he's saying is just flatly not true. Uh you can go get a big uh, a high price tag free agent or, or or veteran by trading your picks with Andrew Wiggins. Now, that's right. not to say that the other team would be willing to do that. I'm just saying it's not his words of saying not possible imply that it's impossible, which implies that it's impossible, which it's not. It's not impossible. That's all I'm saying. I'm not telling you it's going to happen. I'm not telling you what I would do. I'm just telling you, it's not impossible. Like, it's just slightly not true. And then the other thing is, if you don't want to attach Andrew Wiggins, there's still a way to take set- – here's the reason I bring up Joe Ingles, right? He makes $12 million with Utah right now. If the Warriors wanted to just move 7-14, and 14, what they could do is basically say, hey, Utah, do you want 7-14 and 14 for Joe Ingles on draft night? Utah could be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Cool. Then tell us who you want us to pick at 7 and 14 when we're on the clock. Utah will say, all right, we will do that. So the Warriors make the selections at 7 and 14 As re- for the Jazz. They pick the players that the Jazz wants. The-, the next morning, they sign those players to contracts. And then 30 days later, once those players are eligible to be traded under the CBA, the Warriors can then make the deal official. But it would have been reported by people like me and others that, hey, this is what's going to happen, and this is basically the Jazz picking here at 7-14, and and the Warriors just added Joe Ingles, right? And so you take the $5 million salary, it's between 5 and $6 million at 7, the 3 $4 million salary at, at 14, you combine those you get $9 million, throw in an Alan Smiley-Geach non-guaranteed, a Michael Mulder non-guaranteed, that the Jazz could just turn around and wave, and boom, you're up to $12 million, and you're able to execute that deal. So... There's a lot of ways in which what Joe Lacob is saying is untrue. I just don't know if he's wrong by accident or if he's wrong on purpose and either trying to set an expectation for the fan base saying hey, we're going to draft two rookies. And by the way, that might not be the wrong thing to do. Like it, chances are that they're not going to be able to make those kinds of deals. right? Chances are they're going to have to hold their nose take somebody at 7, take somebody at 14 and just hope they help. Um, the other thing I was wondering is is he setting an expect- expectation for his own organization because Joe Lacob is so obsessed with adding youth to a veteran roster, because Joelica very much is obsessed with that idea. And I wonder okay, was this a message for the fans or was this a message for his front office? I say all this to say I kind of just think he was accidentally wrong and just speaking out of his ass a little bit.
1: I, mean, I felt like tweeting him a link to the ESPN trade machine. And, you know, I mean, I, I certainly <laughs> don't know the ins and outs of the NBA salary cap, but I can tell you that I have personally executed a ton of successful trades. That brought back a veteran with a big contract that included Wiggins as a part of the deal. So, yes, dude, like it is possible. And it, it it would be difficult for me to believe that Lacob would inadvertently come off as incompetent, you know, that he wouldn't know something and still decide to talk about it unless he had some other uh, purpose behind it and so I think he is I think he is talking to the fan base I think he's talking to other teams and I think he's talking to the front office I think all those things are happening
2: mm. um one other thing as far as trading up or trading out the Warriors are in a unique position within two summers of having the second overall pick the seventh overall pick and the 14th overall pick in two different drafts right if you can't find like First of all, your hit rate, if the Warriors don't – if one of these picks doesn't pan out, that should be expected. If two of these players don't pan out, that should also be expected. If one of these players turn into the player that the Warriors want, that is a win, right? I mean, just look at the process with the Sixers. They drafted Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons – Norland's Noel, Jaleel Okafor, Markel Fultz. How many of them worked out? Like one and a half? Like, we're, like we're, try, we're kind of figuring out Ben Simmons right now. But Joel Embiid is the guy, right? And chances are who, whoever the Warriors take is not going to end up being Joel Embiid, which is to say that whoever the Warriors, one of these picks for the Warriors is probably not going to end up being an MVP candidate, um, right. which is fine. But if one of them becomes like an all-star, that's a huge win. Um, that's a huge win. And I think that there's definitely value in three swings versus two swings, but that's generally speaking in this draft, if I can move seven and 14 to get up into the top three or four, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, just because of the, the, the specific part of this draft and that there's probably there's four like franchise type players at the top of this draft. Um, let's move on to our next question. Would you draft for upside? Now this is assuming seven and fourteen. Are you favoring upside, or are you looking? Would you would you punt on upside if it meant that 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 you knew that that player can help more right away?
1: I've got PTSD, Wes. There's no question about it. So uh, here's an illustration of that. If you had asked me this question pre Wiseman. You know, just my general personality type as a Warrior fan forever, I always like the upside players. I like the lottery ticket guys, the people who might become all-stars and all we have to do is just wait long enough and then they're going to change our franchise, right? And then I went through the Wiseman experience last year and I realized the problem of trying to combine the goals of maximizing your team and then maximizing the upside for a specific player. It just didn't work. Can't do those things at the same time. So for next year, and given my PTSD from what happened last year, it's gotta be immediate contributor. You know, yeah. I don't mean, you know, only immediate contribution. I don't want them to go find out a senior who's only gonna be good for us for, you know, the, the next couple of years. I certainly want some other side on this. But if we're talking, for example, Scotty Varnes v. Davion Mitchell, because that's kind of a physical embodiment, right? Upside versus somebody who might be able to help immediately. I'd look really hard at Davion Mitchell because of how he can contribute. Now I don't, I don't know for sure, but uh, that's kind of where I'm hedging right now.
2: Yeah. I'm with you because I think that this draft could, in some ways, double as their free agency because the Warriors don't have any cap space. They have a mid-level exception. That's about it. They're going to have to. The draft is on July 29th. Free agency starts August 2nd. But we all know that, you know, there's there's talking before August 2nd, right? Like they'll. Bob Meyer should have a pretty good sense of who he can and cannot sign uh, by draft night. Um, so that'll be one thing, right? If they can go find for the mid for the mid level a sixth or seventh man, then yeah, maybe you can hedge a little bit and go a little bit more upside at seven and or fourteen. But I'm with you. I would just look for immediate contributions at this point. I. I I thought – and look, I actually think that in some ways falling always seven is almost a blessing in disguise for the Warriors because if you're in the top six, you're almost forced to be like, hey, Jonathan Kaminga's here. We know he can't play for us right away, uh, and we can't really give him playing time, but his upside is such that we have to take him. And I think that would be a nightmare pick for the Warriors and for Kaminga, by the way, who I think has probably the highest ceiling in this draft, but I have no idea if he's going to hit it, and he needs playing time in in order to reach it, right? Well, that's the thing for the Warriors – even if they wanted to make the upside pick, where's the playing time coming from, right? Like, Joel Embiid needed 30 minutes a night when he was healthy to, you know, reach his game and, and reach his potential. Like, Giannis needed to play point for a couple of years in order to hit his potential. Like, you can you could talk about upside all day, but you need to be able, you need to be a team that is able to help that player reach that upside. Like, fit really matters in today's game, and the Warriors are dealing enough with James Wiseman and trying to hit help him reach his upside because it is very clear as an immediate contributor he is bad. But if he hits his upside, right, he becomes good. And the Warriors need to figure that out. And James Wiseman is going to be on this roster next year unless something crazy happens. So uh, there, I just I, I you don't really have a choice. I think if you're the Warriors, like you could want upside, but you could just plant that guy on the bench for a couple of years and hope. Something happens, something clicks that way, but I think their best option is to go get a couple guys who they think can be basically the ninth and 10th guys in their rotation. I know that's not sexy and that might not be what Warriors fans want to hear, but that's that's what's going to help this team get to where it wants to go sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, I mean, you gotta hedge it. Start it with a different beginning, right? The if if the goal is to win a championship with Steph Curry in the next few seasons, then the person whom they are going to draft with these picks is going to be the ninth and tenth in the rotation, you know. And and I'm willing as a fan, I'm willing to make that concession. I'll tell you who else is. Who I would imagine is, and who a six or seven pick makes life way easier than like a top three pick would be. Steve Kerr. You know, we, we saw last year how hard it is to have somebody who's upside you're supposed to unearth. You're supposed to kind of mine and figure out. I mean, it changes the entire goals, right? It's right. instead of going, you know, there's two conversations you have with the head coach. Coach, here's your roster. Let's get a championship. Or coach, here's your roster. Let's get a championship. And then you point to one name and develop this guy. That's a totally different thing. It's an entirely different <laughs> job. And so hopefully that shifts a little bit now, you know, with, with, the, uh, with the immediate contributor they may get at 7 and 14, I guess.
2: Uh, that kind of gets us into our next question. If, you, if Steph and Draymond were the general managers, who would they draft? Who do you think they would want to draft? Because I think this is, by the way, the, the question that the front office should be asking themselves because this matters. Do you do you think they are both so I can see
1: Draymond calling already? He probably has a thousand ideas, super vociferous, you know, is is in everybody's ear, has a bunch of takes. and I promise I'm going to answer your question. Well, I would imagine that Steph has a ton of ideas and people, but he's waiting to be called, you know? Like he's expecting, and I'm sure Myers will do it. But do you think I'm right on that? That that Draymond is right now beating down the door of the front office while Steph is a little bit calmer about this thing as it as it plays out.
2: Um, I know for a fact that Draymond Green has been in draft rooms before, and is certainly going to be in the draft room this year. What makes what what's interesting about that is I don't know that Draymond Green was was super stoked about drafting James Wiseman, right? I don't, I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm just saying that I don't know if he was or not. I don't know yeah. how much the Warriors listen to him. I don't know if Draymond Green was like, hey, Jacob Evans is a winner. Like, I have no idea what, Dray- what Draymond Green thinks about prospects or what he wants or what he's looking for. <laughs> but what we do know is what he said to TNT in regards to Washington was you don't add two rookies to two all-stars, and he thinks he's an all-star, and he is a former all-star. Steph is obviously an all-star right now still. They off- they also have Clay coming back, by the way. I don't think he wants to add two young guys. That said, I think this front office could say, hey, man, like, I know that you don't super want to add two rookies to this roster, but like, we don't really have any other options. So we're going to. Like, who do you want? And I think that's an interesting sort of thought exercise, right? Like, if you were Steph and Draymond, who would you want to be playing with on the floor? And I think the obvious answer is dudes who can shoot and pass and defend. And obviously, that's a three tool type of player that every team wants. But I wouldn't be looking for another like front court player. I would just be looking for a guy who's competent and, moreover, just has a a certain feel for the game who can who can play with speed and pace and just be in the right spot. Right? How many times did we get did did we see Steph get upset with Kelly Oubre, who's been in the league for a while, just not knowing where he was supposed to be in the offense? Like, I think if anything. Steph and Draymond just want to play with guys who are as, as close to an adult as possible who just knows where to be and when. And if you're looking at – and like that, but that doesn't just show up in wingspan and verticals and stuff like that. Like You have to watch film to figure out who that's going to be. And I think that's what the Warriors should be looking for is high basketball IQ and feel for the game. Everything else you can figure out. That stuff I think is really, really hard to teach.
1: Perfect transition. I'll even add two more bullet points and then I'll give you the name who I think they would pick. So shooting. Yep. Agree with you. Passing. Yep. Agree with you. Maturity. Yep. Agree with you. And I'll include title experience. Why? Because the name I think they would want Davion Mitchell, mm-hmm. you know, that if, if, Steph and Draymond were part of the ownership group right now, and we're worried about Chase Center putting asses in seats. Then the answer is not Davion Mitchell. If what they want is someone who can immediately come in and has an identifiable role just immediately next year, he could be their backup point guard, hopefully, almost initially. Mm-hmm. Then Davion makes a lot of sense. And there is a moment in the draft uh, before they announced the order and this is all conjecture I don't know I don't work at ESPN but ESPN had a lot of the presumptive top six picks come in and talk right before they gave us the order and the two people who talked right next to each other were Evan Mobley the USC kid who's probably going to go number two and then Davion Mitchell who we're talking about now and here's the part that's, that's conjecture a little bit. I don't know how much leeway Rachel Nichols has to decide who gets the most time, but I imagine it's kind of up to her when she wants to move on. So she talks to Davion Mitchell and gives him three or four questions. Mitchell handles them all beautifully. Mm-hmm. The thing goes perfectly. She finishes her interview. It was great. They flip over to Mobley. She gives him one question. He fumbles it immediately. Immediately, he was he was nervous. Totally understandable. But it you know it got. Screwed up a little bit, and she moved on within five seconds. Super stupid, random example. But Mitchell was mature and ready. Mobley, the the, the moment got a little bit big. Not you know, Mobley's career is going to be way more significant than Mitchell's, but it's one of those little things you can see that suggests, at least, at Mitchell's maturity.
2: I mean, I think about Tyrese Halliburton last year. Same exact thing. I mean, he was – the best interview in the entire draft and we talked to him during these draft zoom calls and stuff last year he was the best interview and he just seems like an adult and i called his coach and i did a little bit of a profile on him and like everybody that i talked to talked to some teammates it's like yeah this guy just gets it he's an adult on the floor he knows where to be and you that's a thing that coaches see right because they draw up these x's and o's and they're like hey if my x is in the wrong place then that's a problem so uh, coaches understand this. They they see it, and I hope that that's something that Steve Kerr and Draymond Green and Steph Curry care about. And by the way, Davion Mitchell just seems like a Draymond Green guy, right? Like, we can all agree on that. Like, if Draymond Green has a big board, Davion Mitchell is, like, really high up. Probably too high on it, but he's really high up. <laughs> I think that's absolutely
1: true. And if I'm Draymond Green, one of the reasons I wouldn't want someone like Scotty Barnes, I'm tired of being a mentor. I'm tired of being the <laughs> guy who always has to bring people by their hand and teach them, hey – I hear you're the next Draymond Green. You know, I'd prefer someone who could just help as opposed to somebody I
2: have to mold. Fernando writes in, what are your thoughts on the possibility of getting Davion Mitchell and Corey Kispert with the two picks? I think that would be a home run, but I don't think Kispert gets past New Orleans at 10. But I could be wrong, right? Because the thing we do see all the time, I didn't think Tyrese Halliburton was getting past seven last year. He fell all the way to 12. Teams do favor 19-year-olds over 21, 22-year-olds just because they're younger. And I don't think that that's wrong necessarily. Like there's there's data that supports that decision, but you know I don't. I, I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Damian Lillard was a junior when he got drafted, and people questioned his upside, and now he's Damian Lillard. He's like arguably the second best point guard in the NBA now. So um, not to compare everybody to Draymond or, or to Damian Lillard the way that we say every six six forward is Draymond Green, and every six nine guard with <laughs> uh, forward with a seven foot one wingspan is the next Kawhi Leonard. Because since Draymond Green got drafted, there is a Draymond Green in every draft, and yet there's only one Draymond Green in the NBA somehow. <laughs> and ditto for Kawhi, ditto for Giannis. You know, you just go down the line. Um, but um, I do think that there might be a little bit of a market inefficiency that a team like the Warriors can exploit and what I, and just by, hey, this guy's 21-22. Like, Davion Mitchell's 22. Like, let's just go draft this guy because we're not really that concerned and don't have the resources to develop a player with with higher upside, quote unquote, higher upside. Right? Let's just go get the guy who can contribute right away. And I think the Warriors at seven, they're going to have their pick of the litter, but at fourteen, they might be able to take advantage of. All right, hey, like a guy like Kispert or Franz Wagner or somebody else like drops to fourteen because teams would rather have like the Keon Johnsons of the world who are super, super raw but have all the athleticism in the world. Yeah, somebody like Moody. I mean, the... the, Yeah, I like Moses Moody. I would love
1: either of those. Kispert would be great. I'm not sure if they're going to be there. If we're looking for optimism, go out there and Google NBA mock draft and look at numbers 6 through 14, because in every single one of those drafts, I guarantee you, the order will be different. There is no (laughs) consensus on the back half of this draft. So, I mean, the suggestions are almost universally that Kispert probably goes before he gets to us. But the fact that there is no uniform order, that this stuff seems to kind of shift around depending on the pundit you're looking at, maybe, you know, maybe. And that's that's why I plan on
2: getting hammered for
1: the draft (laughs) and being really nervous the whole way through.
2: Maybe I'll get hammered too. I mean, I have to work that night, but whatever. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Dark West, baby. You know that's
2: my favorite person to
1: work with, man. So if, if well, you promise to drink, we need to do a green room uh, episode for the draft.
2: <laughs> we, all, we also know that we're a month out from the draft, and guys are going to rise on boards, right? Like I could see a guy like Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky or Kai Jones out of Texas, like young, really raw guys just sort of moving up just because. Um, J.T. Thor out of Auburn. Like these are the kind of guys that you look at who can just move up. And for a player to move up, somebody else has to move down. And rarely do you see the other super athletic guys move down. It's usually a guy like Corey Kispert who, you know, maybe the the lights on that that, uh, championship uh, uh, appearance start to dim a little bit, right? And we don't remember Corey Kispert the same way. Like, you start to favor these guys who... More recently, have impressed at stuff like combines, where you take forty times and verticals and hand sizes and wingspans and stuff like stuff that Kispert is not going to thrive in, right? Kispert th- thrived in the game, but where the further and further away you get from the game, the less it tends to matter. And yep. so, right, the, and, and so that's what I kind of do with these mock drafts is, if the draft were held right now, I don't. When I do my mock drafts, I don't try to project what it's going to be a year from uh, or a month from now or a year from now, but. Right? <laughs> Uh, I'm like, okay, if the drafts were held right now, what do I think would happen? And I'm gonna do a few of these mock drafts going like between now and the july the july 29th draft, and it's gonna change, right? and it's because it's gonna be because we have new information, updated information, et cetera.
1: Um, Dude, it's starting in about May. this is lose your shit season in the nba right when <laughs> when when the playoffs start, the second it starts, one game is played within a series, and people overreact. They lose their shit immediately. You know, Uh, the Clippers, the Clippers lost their first game in round one and everyone was like, well, it's over. I was one of them. I started putting together packages for Paul George, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and that continues. It continues into the draft season. Everybody, uh, last year, Tyrese Halliburton, there was that moment and we actually had her on. Kristen Peake was at a random um, shoot around. Tyrese Halliburton decided to take his jumper further, further, further back. Kristen gets video of him shooting from like, 60 feet, somewhere way further than it normally does. His form is different because he's messing around. That video goes out, and for like a two-, three-day deal, everyone was overreacting to Tyrese Halliburton's jumper. His form was terrible. What's going on? You know. And then ultimately, it all played out, and he is where he is. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of shifts in these next few weeks. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what
2: ultimately plays. Uh, before we move on to our, our next and final question, I'll just uh, – one last thought here is – I do. You asked me at the start, what was my reaction when I saw the Warriors kind of get 7-14 and 14 and not be able to get one of these top 5 or 6 picks? I think it's a blessing in disguise because, I said this a little bit before, but I'll, I'll relate it to last year. The Warriors were sitting there at number 2. They wanted to trade down. They were trying to trade down, but they couldn't find the value that they needed to trade down. So they ended up taking Wiseman at 2. I think they were happy with Wiseman at 2. I think they're still happy with that pick. Uh... But this year, they don't have to deal with that. Last year, if they would have slipped to seven, I think they take Tyrese Halliburton, right? Yeah. I know they like Tyrese Halliburton. If they ended up taking Tyrese Halliburton, are they in a better or a worse position right now? And if not, not for winning in 2028, but for winning right now? I, th- I, I think it'd be insane to say that if they had Halliburton, they wouldn't be in a better spot, right? We like can't. Nobody can first, say that. Of course. Of course. I think that th- we can see something similar happen this year. Now, of course, if you ended up with the third pick and you were able to take, or the fourth pick or something, and you were able to take Jalen Suggs, or if you ended up with the first pick somehow and you said take Cade Cunningham, that's a different story, right? Like, those are guys who are like Tyrese Halliburton on steroids, right? We're like just guys who can help right away, but also have a ton of upside. Um, but at seven here, maybe you're not having to take Jonathan Kaminga just because he's there. Maybe you don't have to take Jalen Green just because he's there. But you could take the next Tyrese Halliburton, the next Tyler Hero, the next kind of guy like that who is obviously ready to play and help right away. I think it is Davion Mitchell. I also love Franz Wagner out of Michigan. In my first mock draft that I did for the Lockdown Network, I took Wagner. This was like three weeks ago. I took Wagner at seven. The next one I did, I took Mitchell at seven. Um, I think a guy like Kispert, if he was there at 14, would be good, probably a little bit too high to take him at seven. Uh, Those are the kinds of guys I like. Moses Moody, I think, is a really good fit and could be enough of, hey, he's 19. There's some length there. There's some stuff that you like, but he can hit threes and defend right away. Um, We'll see. We see guys like that every single year. Sometimes they're Mikal Bridges. Sometimes they're Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. You have no idea, but... um, I think it's like the enough optimism. here. Yeah, I, I like the optimism. Uh,
1: you, you dragged me up to a B-plus as far as how Ooh. my attitude – yeah. I mean I'm, seriously, you're like my therapist at this stage. And uh, <laughs> what I also like is the reframing, right? We look at this draft and your first I- instinct as a Warrior fan is to look at what did we get as opposed to what we didn't, right? We didn't get the sixth pick. We didn't get the one pick. We didn't get the four pick. It's, it's focusing on the negative. Reframe that. What are they getting? There's a great chance they're going to get two legitimate rotational pieces to add to a roster that grew a ton last year. That's not a small thing. That's a gigantic thing. And couple that with the return of Clay and with the wide open nature, apparently, of the West, there's stuff to be excited for here. I'm up to an A minus, West. Let's go. (laughs) This thing is really helping me.
2: Look, you're saving yourself from yourself, right? I mean, you try telling Joe Lakeup if you have the fourth pick in the draft. Hey we're not taking Jonathan Kamingo. We're not taking Jalen Green because we don't think that he can help right away. Like, you try telling your owner, who just built Chase Center, we're not taking the guy with the franchise cap. And by the way, they probably should take that player if they were there. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. But now you're not even dealing with that scenario. Now you could just... There's no expectations with the seventh pick. There's no expectations with the seventh pick whatsoever. Uh, just unless you're from your fan base. The Warriors fan base had expectations for the 28th pick, though. I mean, every every... You know, fan base is going to be uh, critical on their front office. Okay. Final and most important question, Bram. I want you to list your top five sandwiches. So I know how important this is to you,
1: right? I mean, so to, to a little bit of background. Wes and I text the questions that we may be talking about, and this one was the last on the five suggested ones that Wes gave me. And Wes, I'll now be transparent for you. It made me nervous. I, like I started sweating because I know how important sandwiches Good. are to you. Yes. So I've, I've got my list here, and I'm positive that my list is better than yours, but I'm also you know, worried about discussing it. I'll give you uh, a few that didn't make it because Ooh, I thought honorable you'd give me shit. oh yeah honorable mentions yeah. i thought you'd give me shit you tell me that they weren't like complicated enough I, you strike me as a complicated sandwich guy so yeah turkey and cheddar i'm a fan of pbj grilled cheese i mean like easy things but they don't crack my top five less let's move up at number five the meatball huge fan nice and easy a little messy but you know still uh makes my almost mount rushmore number 4 the chicken oh, wait wait, wait 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 i'm
2: not, I'm not I need i need a chance to react to each of these so let's let's so number 5 you have the meatball sub yeah meatball like a meatball parm situation exactly right i used to get it
1: from subway which is a little embarrassing you know i'm sure that there's a much better meatball sub that is out there that's not the one i'm necessarily pointing to but it comes in at number five for me yeah that's
2: that's that's actually a good thing we should point out this is not like hey this sandwich from this place so i should have actually actually texted you that so i hope you don't have like that i mean like more like generally like not the best version of the meatball sub ever but not the worst meatball sub you ever had just like a a generally good meatball sub, like more of the a, a theoretical meatball sub. That's kind of what we're and whatever kind of sandwich. Um, I love I love meatball sub, especially when they actually slice the meatballs for you. Oh and yeah, classy. It, classy. Sort of, that's that's a classy move. I think with the, the 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 thing with the meatball sub, and I've never had the one at Subway, but I'm imagining the Subway bread. It's just sort of like soft and and kind of just like flimsy to me. I need that. I need that that sauce to be able like to be held together that cheese needs to be held together that meat a meatball i mean you you compare like meatball to like a turkey cold cut the meatballs is coming in with a lot more weight so you need like a hard bread like a nice sourdough or like a dutch crunch if you're in the bay area or just like a good italian obviously would be ideal um That you need like a hard yeah. So I love meatball. Didn't make my five, but was one of my honorable mentions. Also, PB and J was an honorable mention. But I don't trust people to make PB and Js enough for me to have enough trust in the sandwich in general to put in my top five.
1: What are you talking about? Have you had like a bunch of bad PB and J sandwiches? There seems to be a pretty like baseline way to make a PB and J where it just comes out the
2: same every time. So one of the things I ask people the first time I meet them is, what's your What's your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Like you have all the resources in the world. <laughs> Tell me your perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm you never, would be never shocked by how many wrong answers I get.
1: What you, it's in the name. Peanut butter and jelly. What are you talking about? You add some, uh, you add some bread to that. I won't drag us down the PB&J hole. I'll Please only don't. add the one downside to the meatball. I guess a couple. Time limit. You got to eat it kind of fast. It gets cold. It's a little nasty. A and then two, it's, it's ruined. It's ruined clothes for me. Ruined pants, <laughs> ruined shirts. Like, I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of a messy dude anyways, but that 100% has happened. Number four for me, the club, but more specific, the chicken club, Wes. Mm. Not really a turkey guy. So a little kind of a zag here, um, but I, you know, I like the triple-decker move. I kind of like yep. the crisp bread. Yeah, chicken
2: club. So that's my number four. I've got the turkey club. I do have the turkey club. To me, there's something just a little classy about the turkey, and I like that. Like I imagine myself in like a fine dining establishment where I can't quite afford the nice thing on the menu, but they do have the turkey club for lunch. And so just like turkey club with some shoestring fries, I pour the ketchup on the fries. Yes, I pour the ketchup on the fries, but only when I'm eating it with a turkey club. Um, That's that's a beautiful thing for me. Also, the turkey club by the pool. Almost every pool bar – if, they, if they're worth their salt, we'll offer the turkey club. So you either go cheeseburger or turkey club, those, or chicken tenders. Those are the or sometimes you can even get a quesadilla. But those are the only things that are acceptable. You don't get to order <laughs> salads at the pool bar. If you're doing that, change your life decisions. But a turkey club is just so ideal. It's in my top five because, like I said, you're, it's it's if you're by the pool without a shirt, it is it is perfectly in place. <laughs> Or if you're at a nice restaurant and you just feel like having a damn sandwich and you don't want the lobster or the, the shrimp cocktail, it's it's perfectly at place there, too. It is a, it is just a it's a versatile sandwich, and you're right. like That texture with the three layers of bread, the bacon, the lettuce, the tomato, it's got to be good tomato, um, or bad tomato can ruin a turkey club. Uh, three clubs, number four. Maybe we should do it this way, then. So I'll give you my five because I didn't give you my fifth one. Shoot, yeah. So I, I cheated here. It's a tie between a Reuben and a Cuban. So my logic here, and the reason I feel like I can cheat a little bit, is you know that I'm from South Florida. I, If I'm in Miami, then my list is at number five, a Cuban. If I'm in Broward County, then my number five is a Reuben. So for those who are not from South Florida, Miami is obviously 72% Hispanic, so I'm going with the Cuban, and mostly Cuban. Uh, and if I'm in Broward County, which is one of the most... Uh, Uh, has one of the largest Jewish populations in Florida, then I'm going the Reuben. I think that's self-explanatory enough. But it's a tie between those two because I I love a good Cuban, but I don't love pickles, so I always take the pickles off or ask for it without pickles. And then with the Reuben, I mean, you just can't beat corned beef, sauerkraut, Russian dressing. I mean, on rye, forget about it.
1: I, I have, I will defer to you on the Miami sandwich scene. I'll let you know that neither of those crack my top five, but I enjoy them. You know, I, I don't hate either one enough to give you shit about either selection.
2: Number three on your list.
1: Tuna melt, boring, but easy. Um, and I also, I, I really want to underline the versatility before we move on too far at the chicken club. I can't think of any other food that you can enjoy both shirtless and at a white tablecloth uh, establishment so nicely played on that to them out, i don't have a lot of follow-up thoughts so instead i'm going to give you my next one the breakfast sandwich that's number two oh, made number man. one and i'm going to give you a background story here's how much i like those in graduate school i was i mean i want to use the phrase overweight instead i'm just going to tell you i was fat the West. i was fat and i was fat for enough reasons, one of them was that I always went to this McDonald's right by my graduate school, and I always got a uh, one of their egg McMuffins. And what I remember about it is I would start to sweat when I reached my hand into the bag, like not even eating it, just the grease from holding that bag and having my hand inside of it was enough to make me perspire. So the breakfast sandwich and then, you know, there's some unpleasant memories associated with it, but it still cracks uh, my top two.
2: So the breakfast sandwich is great, and I didn't think about it because I was thinking more about, like, lunch and dinner type meals. Oh, yeah. And I, and I may have to move the breakfast sandwich into my top five somewhere. Oh, you, mentioned so... the tuna, you mentioned the tuna melt slash tuna sub. I actually have that as my number two. I love Whoa. a good tuna sub, but I'm not Whoa, married expected. to that. I'm not married <laughs> to that. Um, I've got a Philly cheesesteak at my number three. I, I got a number one.
1: Oh, I thought I, okay. I was going to, I thought I was going to kind of sneak that in on you. All right. So, I mean, I don't know why it didn't make number one for you, but it is a phenomenal sandwich.
2: It's, uh, it's a perfect sandwich. There's nothing wrong with it. And I know that we weren't going to say specific sandwiches, but I had maybe one of the best meals of my life was a Philly cheesesteak. And I'm a little biased because of it. I think that I, I also grew up on Philly cheesesteaks. So, um, it's it's just a perfect sandwich. You, it's it's one of the few hot sandwiches that I really really enjoy. If you've noticed, most of my sandwiches are, are cold. Um, but uh, with the meat, the onions, you gotta get the melty cheese, all of that stuff. Um, I have no. I I, I I understand why it's your number one, but it came in at number three for me because I don't know. Round out your top five. So the number one is just a classic cold cut sub. Just a cold sub. I prefer just roast beef and turkey, provolone, shredded lettuce, tomato, salt, pepper, oil and vinegar on the right kind of bread, and that is absolutely the number one sandwich on my list. It's not even close. That is the sandwich I crave most often, and what I find is very difficult to find that's well done. It's simple as it sounds, but when well done, it is the perfect sandwich. It is absolutely number one on my list. You do that, it's obvious... if you ask me one time if I want it toasted and I order if I order roast beef and turkey and provolone and you ask me if I want it toasted I leave the establishment. I said I don't want your sandwich. No, that Jesus. is served on fresh bread with a bag of chips.
1: You spit in their face as you're on your way out. The specificity that you gave us that that order is why you are at the top of the sandwich game, my friend. I mean, you know, just nicely played. And I really hope that nobody finds out that we're doing this because you and I are going to be co-sponsoring
2: a deli in the short near future, you know? But,
1: But whatever, I mean, it's still public information that people will find out anyways.
2: I have seriously considered, and when I say that, I have done research and budgeted for my own deli slicer no, you have not. I You've have, not budgeted for a deli slicer. What, like you started like saving up or something. I just i i, I looked at my finances and I said, "Does this make <laughs> sense financially for the way in my in my current position?" Um, the
1: answer was no, resounding well, no. It and it wasn't even a financial thing.
2: It was more of a space thing. I also looked at the kitchen and I was like, "I don't have room for a deli slicer."
1: <laughs>
2: Turns out they're really big. Uh,
1: do you know how annoyed
2: it would be if I came to your house, open up your refrigerator,
1: and there was just a gigantic turkey in there? And you're like, "Oh, uh, I like to slice my own deli meats." I would leave immediately. The same way you would leave the fucking store if they toasted your bread. I'm out of there if you own a deli
2: slicer. Well, I don't trust people to slice my meat. I just, I just don't do it. Like, I you need to know. I need to know it's good. Like, I need to watch you slice it, and I need to tell you it needs to be thinner. If you put, if I order roast beef, if I order a roast beef sandwich, and you give me a Thanksgiving Day meal then i've got a problem like i shouldn't get thanksgiving slices of turkey and roast beef on my sandwich that thing needs to be so clear so thin that it's translucent and anything else is unacceptable it's just unacceptable This is as telling about your
1: personality as the unexpected interplay between your throw pillows and your bare chest. Nicely played, man. I mean, shit, I feel like I'm really getting
2: to know you. So number one was a Philly cheesesteak for you. I I, I respect it, it and I love the idea that you have a breakfast sandwich in there. And I'm, I'm like, jealous I didn't have one in mine. Actually, I'm going to kick out the Reuben and the Cuban. I'm putting a breakfast sandwich in my five. Boom! Um, I, uh, I like it. Successful
1: top five. I was nervous, but we got there.
2: I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm proud of us. We got through all five golden questions without a hitch. We collabed appropriately and effectively. And um, I think that will do it for us, Bram.
1: That sounds fantastic to me. Wes, good stuff, man. I'll see you next week.
2: Thanks to everybody who joined in on five golden questions, a locked on warriors huddle collaboration.
1: Easier said. Done.